Praise God. Let's just pray over the word for a second here. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you tonight that your word is true. I pray tonight for an unction of the Holy One. That's what your word tells us, that we have an unction from the Holy One and we know all things. So I pray tonight that we know what we're supposed to know before we walk out of this room. Lord, that we know your things. Lord, that we know what it is uh, that you want to teach us and tell us tonight. Father, I pray that your word become revelation in our hearts. Lord, I know it's your will to give us a spirit of revelation. Tonight, we believe we receive that. We're not here so we can hear what somebody thinks, but we're here to hear what you think and what you want to say to us. Father, we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Let me start off with this verse of Scripture, or two, three verses of Scripture. This is from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 2. The Bible says, Therefore he said unto them, Jesus is talking, He said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among the wolves. Carry neither purse, nor script, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. Now, that sounds crazy when you think about it. Seriously, I mean, Jesus is talking to these guys, and he says, he says to them, the harvest is great. And I'm sending you out there, and there aren't very many laborers. Is that a job anybody in here wants? I mean, you'd like, no, wait, wait, wait. Why don't you bring us the laborers to help us, and we'll go on out there. But he said, I'm going to send you this harvest, and there are very few laborers. And then he tells them, he says, I'm going to send you forth as lambs among wolves. See, we're so religious, sometimes we miss some things. What would it be like to be the lamb among wolves? What's going to happen to the lamb, do you think? I mean, he's going to be dinner probably if you send put a lamb in the midst of a bunch of wolves. And Jesus said, I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. Then he says, it just gets worse really. He says, don't take your purse or your wallet. In other words, don't take any money. Don't take any money. And don't talk to anybody along the way. I mean... The hardest one of all those is probably not talking, because most Christians like to talk. But he said, he said, this this is instruction to them. That sounds crazy. It doesn't sound like it's a very good idea, right? I mean, no money, getting eaten up by the wolves, not any help, and you can't talk along the way. That's an interesting thought, and it kind of goes with some of the things that have been said already tonight. In the same book of Luke, later on in chapter 22. Right before Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Yes, ma'am? Yeah, I, um, it says, they don't talk. Well, he says, he says, and salute no man by the way. I mean, don't, don't greet them. Don't say hi. In other words, you're on a mission. You're going to go there. Don't talk to anybody until you get there. You've got to get there first. Okay? So that's what he's saying. Then later in Luke 22, this will maybe add some light to what he said. Right before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, Jesus Asked his disciples, as he said to them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? That's an interesting question. He's referring to this passage I just read to you. And they said, Nothing. So now think about that. Jesus said, Don't take any money. 
He said, when I sent you with that money, did you lack anything? They said, no, no, we didn't lack anything. I mean, so, so here's the question. So the wolves didn't eat them alive, did they? He sent them to the middle of the wolves, and the wolves didn't eat them. They didn't need any money. They lacked nothing. So what does that mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. It means they totally had to rely on him. If you're the sheep in the midst of wolves, you better be hoping that the shepherd is right there. If you have if you don't have any money, you better well, if you're the sheep that Jesus sent to the midst of the wolves, you better know that the shepherd is right there. If you if you are sent without money, you better know that the Lord of Paydays is with you. You better know that. You better know that his promises are absolutely true. Here's what it means. It means they had to rely on a lifestyle of the miraculous. They had to know that the miracles were with them. Every day they were out there with no food and no money. That meant they were going to be fed miraculously. We're talking about the God, the same God. Jesus is he is God in the flesh. We're talking about the same God that fed Elijah that sandwiches that the ravens brought him every day. They brought him, they brought him bread and meat every day. And then God said, okay, we're done with this one. Now we're going to go let a widow feed you. And he went to the widow of Zarephath. God is the God of the miraculous. Not only did these guys get to see Jesus perform miracles, on the infirmed, they saw that he was perfectly able and willing to take care of their needs and take care of their protection in supernatural form. They had to learn. From, at this time, they're learning, they're disciples. They had to learn that their provision was not the provision of the flesh. It was a supernatural provision. It was more than what they could get in the flesh. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now when you read the gospel of Matthew, you have to understand that Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews. And so he never uses kingdom of God. He always says kingdom of heaven because the Jews didn't say the name God. And so he says kingdom of heaven, but he's talking about the same thing. right? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit literally means those who are utterly and absolutely dependent upon God for all they have and all they need. Utterly dependent upon God. And he says, theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, when we believe what God said and we obey what God said, then ours is the kingdom of God. There is no shortage in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we should never be worried about what the price of gasoline is going to be. I don't know if you read that book years ago. I can't remember the name of it now, where the guys had to have gas and they just kept having their car just kept running and running and running and running. And they checked the tank. It was never it was never empty, but they never filled it up because they were on a mission field and they had to reach people. Okay, God understands the circumstance. He knows what's going on. Okay, there is no lack in the kingdom. If we are serving God, there is no lack in his kingdom. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now, now, we are the ambassadors for Christ. Right now. Right now, we're his representatives in the earth. The kingdom, the government of God, will not not pay its employees. 
We're his ambassadors. He will take care of us. If ever in the history of the Church of the United States, the people of God are like sheep being sent into the midst of wolves, it is right now. I mean, this country wants, not the whole country, sections of this country wants to cancel the church. Cancel your testimony. They, want, they don't want to hear it. We're in a war right now for this nation spiritually that looks impossible to win, doesn't it? It looks impossible. It looks like there's no way it can happen. We're representing the Messiah in a world that doesn't really want to hear about him. They're really not that interested in him especially in our culture that's trying to cancel the culture that we grew up in. And for sure, they don't want to be confronted with righteousness and holiness. It just makes them angry. And I'm telling you, they're canceling men and women of God's uh, programs all over the country through riot and protest. They're trying to cancel it. Okay, We're in this world. It wants to cancel it. It wants to, it wants to label us as closed-minded. It wants to tell us that we're not woke. Okay, the fact is we are awakened. We're not woke because woke is a joke. We are awakened by who the Lord is in our lives. If ever we need to be aware of the miraculous, it's now. It's now. It doesn't matter how smart we are. The miraculous is better than how smart we are. Solomon said that we're not to rely on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge him. That means find him, see him. See, we represent the kingdom of God. I like this verse of scripture in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. It says, remember the former things of old. Now that's interesting because in chapter 43 it says, remember not the former things. You've got to do a little study here to find this out. When some of the former things in Isaiah 43, it's referring to the former things that were accomplished by man. Here it's not talking about man. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times of things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country, yea, I've spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I've purposed it, I will also do it. He's saying here, listen, I'm God. I declared the end from the beginning, and that the only reason there was a beginning is because I already declared the end. He declared it, it has to come to pass. He said, my counsel will stand, I will do all my pleasure. Then he says, even if I have to call a ravenous bird and eat somebody up, even if I have to call a man from another country to come and stand and do what I want done, I'm going to accomplish what I want to do. I'm going to, if God has called us to do it, our responsibility is to do whatever he said to do and not do what he said not to do because he will accomplish it. He alone is God. He's, he has never changed. There's nobody like him. He is God. We as American Christians need to remember some things. We need to remember who God is. Remember what God has done. We need to remember the miracles that we've seen and miracles we've heard about. Has anybody in this room ever seen a miracle? 
Oh, if you've been around very long, you know you've seen miracles. I mean, God, I've seen the Lord do things that, that, that are amazing. And I've watched it with my own eyes. And I know it was God because of what was being said and what was being done. God, I mean, he, we need to remember that. We need to remember that our nation was born out of a revival. The Great Awakening was, was the revival. Preachers like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, I mean, they called the people to return to God, to repent, and many to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Our founding fathers, including Benjamin Franklin, who was not even a Christian, but became a great friend of George Whitfield because he saw the things that God do through the ministry of Whitfield. They were, they were profoundly affected by the message and they were willing to stand for God and willing to see a nation come into being that would serve God and preach the gospel all over the world and stand for Israel. They were committed to it and they, they believed that God birthed this nation out of that revival. We've got to remember, we've got to remember that God is bigger than any any political party Bigger than any man or woman in any position, God is bigger than them all. And if we're allowing our emotions to be catapulted into some kind of distress by some puny human being who is nothing compared to Almighty God, we're making a mistake. Amen. <laughs> we need to get our thinking right regarding our nation. Yeah, we need to know what's going on. We've got to be aware. But to be upset, afraid, the Bible says over and over, fear not. If it says fear not, that means do not fear. And it doesn't say fear not unless the Democrats get control of the White House. It didn't say that. We must not be people in fear. We are people of the miraculous. The scripture says, is God, does God have to save by many or by few? It's just by God. He can do it himself. I mean, we need to not just believe for the miracles for ourselves, even though you need to believe what God promised you. But we need to believe for a nation that seems headed for certain disaster. But it doesn't have to go there if men and women of God will stand in the spirit and stand in the public square and be who they're supposed to be. We must pray for and believe for revival in our nation that will alter its direction. We need to believe God. Here's what the Bible says. This is how we need to be thinking. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. How about this? Seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How about this? If thou canst believe, all things are possible. To him that believeth. And how about this? With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. I think it's time for the church to get militant in a different way. We need to stand up. We need to speak up in the spirit. We need to pray right. We need to think right. We need to change the way we think. Because if we change the way we think, we'll change everything. Amen? It's not gloom and doom. It's really not. If we if we know our God, even even if all the bad things they predict happen, we still know our God. We still know Him. 
we still, what's the very worst thing that could ever happen in this planet? They could kill you. Oh, that's, that, what's that going to do for you? It's going to take you straight to heaven. Now think about the Apostle Paul. They stoned him. In my opinion, he died right out, right out there. He got back up, came to life. They threatened him the rest of his life that he was going to die. He's like, are you done that? What else you got? He was not afraid. But he understood that Jesus tasted death for every man. And I'll tell you, the Bible says that the fear of death will hold you in bondage. And that's how Satan holds people in bondage. Ooh, man. Now my text. <laughs> and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Be transformed. The will of God is be transformed. We're looking at being transformed. The New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior of the, and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's something that will transform you, and that something is, is, is changing the way you think. And that same very same thing will help you know the will of God. Wouldn't it be great just to know the will of God? It says there in the New Living, it says, let God transform you, but he will transform you, but there's the matter of our involvement. It's up to us to change the way we think. Most people, including me, just want God to do something like send a lightning bolt, not one that would kill you, but one that would just zap you, and all of a sudden, your mind would be changed. All of a sudden, you would just think right. Wouldn't it be great if there was like a spiritual shock collar and every time you got a wrong thought, Jesus would just push a button. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus. But the reality is my will is my will. My mind is my mind. And I must surrender to him of my own free will. Listen, I know this. And I think this a lot. If I could just know the will of God everything would be all right. As long as I did what he told me to do. If I just knew the will of God, the way to know the will of God is to change the way I think. By the way, if you know the will of God, the scripture says when we, if, if we pray according to the will of God, that he hears us and that he gives us the petition of our heart. In 1 John chapter 5, the will of God, knowing the will of God, Changing the way I think, being transformed into another person. God's word translation says, don't become like the people of this world. Instead, change the way you think. Then you will always be able to determine what God really wants and what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Always. Wouldn't that be good? To always be able to determine what God wants. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to tell you whether it's, it's Cheerios or cornflakes. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the will of God in your life. Walking out in your life. The Good News Bible says, do not conform yourself to the standards of this world. It basically says, don't do it. Don't conform to the world's standards, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you'll be able to know the will of God, what is good and pleasing to Him and is perfect. Don't do it. Don't be conformed to the world. I mean, that's pretty clear. Don't do it. Just don't do that. We mustn't be fashioned like 
the world. But there's so much pressure. I mean, the woke, cancel culture, politically correct people, they want you to be conformed. Conformed to their image. Conformed to what they think. Conformed to what's going on now. Do you realize we're not supposed to be like everybody else? The, doesn't mean doesn't mean we have to be weird. Doesn't mean we have to dress strangely, and you know I don't know, wear weird shoes and talk weird with these and thous. <laughs> but there should be a marked difference between the church and the unsaved world. We should be different. The Scripture tells us to come out and be separate. In Second Corinthians six seventeen. We're not to be yoked with them, the Bible teaches us. The thing that makes the difference is how we think. What we think makes the difference. We'll be transformed. The word Greek word is metamorpho, which we get metamorph from in the English word. Born again people. The, the passage we read was to born again people. They need to be transformed. If that's something we need, then, then this ought to be something that interests all of us will be transformed by his power, by his grace, by our obedience to what he told us to do. So, we talked earlier about what a thought is and where thoughts come from. We talked about that, that thoughts convey are conveyed in words. Words are thought carriers. If a word doesn't convey the thought, then the word is useless. The Hebrew word we talked about for thought and imagination means frame and make. Thoughts frame. Thoughts make things. Thoughts are not nothing. Thoughts have spiritual substance. They are framing what is to come. What you think about frames what you become. Before God created man, man was in the thoughts of God. Man was in God, in his thoughts, and then God spoke his thought and man became. He formed of the dust of the ground, of course, but man became those things. Before God created him, he was in God. The same is true with any artist today. A potter, a painter, a sculptor. The, the thought of what they're making is already inside them. You know, you, ask, you can ask a sculptor. I think they asked Michelangelo, how did you, how did you, see, how did you see David in, in, that, in that piece of rock? And Michelangelo said, how did you not? Because that's all he could see. The thought is what creates. I mean, we, we, we read in Hebrews 11.3 that the world was framed. Talking about the world was altered by those who had a word from God. But the word from God is a thought from God that's expressed in a word. See, things are changed by what we think. You're here tonight because you think this has value. There are some who can't be here. I understand. doesn't mean they don't think it has value. But that's why we gather. We think this has value. Right? We think the Word is amazing. And we believe the Word has the ability to change us. And we're right. And that's why we're here. So tonight I'm going to talk about having a right mind. Psalm 10 verse 4 says this. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not at all in his thoughts. That's an interesting passage. To many, God is never in their thoughts. And that has a lot to do with who they've become. Sadly, God's not in the thoughts of many Christians even. He's not in their thoughts. To have a godless thought life is to have a godless life. 
God must be in our thoughts. We must be transformed. We have to change the way we think and become a different person. I mean, this is an amazing, simple truth. The culmination of our thoughts have determined who we are today. What, 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 what Uncle Benny and them said that you heard and believed as a child, what Mommy and Daddy said, what the preacher said at the church, whether it's in the Bible or not, whether it agrees with God or not, has helped form us into what we've become. The movies you've watched, the TV shows you've watched, all those things have something to do with what we've become. And we've done all that we've done because we had a thought at some point. If you went to college, your major in college started off as a thought. The thought may have been, I wonder what the easiest degree in college would be. But you had a thought. And we can make a change if we change our thoughts. Listen to Psalm 50, verse 21. It says, These things hast thou done. This is God talking here. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Just because judgment didn't come right away doesn't mean God agrees with what you think. That's what he's telling these people. He said, you think I'm thinking like you. But I don't think that way. I'm not thinking what you think. People often think wrong about God and think that God approves their thoughts and that he's just like them. One time we were pastoring our church in Dumas and we had a, we had a fun church and things were happening and, and, and there were rumors about us all over town. I mean, just all kinds of rumors. One rumor in particular that I really enjoyed the most was this guy told people that we beat people with a stick to beat the sin out of them. And I always replied when somebody told me that. I just always said, well, if it was that easy, we'd do it. But they didn't, you can't beat the sin out of people. And this guy, this guy, he thought that he was thinking like God. He thought that was a correct thought. A lot of people think they think, oh, I'm thinking right because they read a half a verse or they got some denominational theology or, or they got it in a song while they were at church. And the reality is it's not even in the Bible. It's not, in fact, it disagrees with the Bible. If anything contradicts the Word of God, it's not how, it's not, it's not now, it's not ever the will and thinking of God. No matter where you heard it. I mean, you and I grew up and we heard, oh, God only helps those who help themselves. If that was true, we would all be headed for hell tonight. Because we were helpless. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, that, that's not even a scriptural thought, not even a scriptural statement. All right? We just have to understand, we need our minds renewed so we can think right. We must have a willing mind, a willing heart to immerse ourselves in his word. The Lord told Joshua, day and night, and you'll prosper in what you do. We've got to become like-minded with God. What does he say in his word? Transformed into a different person. We've got to agree with him. God's thoughts, and you know I'm going to say it, are revealed in his word to show us who he is, to show us his character. I remember, I remember one time in my life, I was at the bottom place, I think, that I've ever been many decades ago. And, and I had decided that, that, that God was the cause of my problems. 
Now listen, I'm spirit-filled and saved at the time. But God was the cause of my problems because I was such a bad person. Then I ran across this scripture in 2 Corinthians 2.14 and I found out that God causes me to triumph. Always causes me to triumph. He's not the cause of my problems. He's the cause of my triumph. When I read that verse, I, I saw it in, one, in, in the New International Version. So I started looking at other versions to see if maybe that one was wrong. And I found out that God causes me to triumph. And I began to meditate in it over and over again. I read it every day for a long time just to make sure it's really what it said. And I became another person. It changed my life. I began to think right about that. It changed me. God's character is revealed in His Word. When you read when you read the stories of David and you see his character, his honor, that's how God thinks. He thinks in terms of character and honor. We have a book. The Bible is a book full of his thoughts. That's why the enemy wants people to think that it's not God's word. It's just good poetry or just good narrative. The devil wants you to think that it's not from God. The fact is it was written by holy men as they were moved by the Holy Ghost and they wrote down the thoughts of God. That we might have them. And apart from, apart from the mindset of the word, you're in trouble. We've got to have this willing mind. The non-believers, it doesn't matter how smart they are. They cannot get it. Because it's spiritually discerned. It has to become from the spirit. Think about our society. All of our laws. All of our ideas about what's right and wrong. Came from God's word. His thoughts. That's what this country was built on. Today, many are trying to change that. But this nation was founded as a Christian nation. Listen, we don't need freedom from religion. We need the freedom to worship the one true God. All those other stuff they worship and all that stuff is a scourge to our country because this nation was founded as a Christian nation. Man, that's why it says in God we trust on our money. That's why every courthouse in America used to have the Ten Commandments because it's founded on that kind of righteousness. Okay, I've got to keep going. Deuteronomy 4, 8 says, And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? A lot of people don't like the Old Testament, but can I just tell you something? The law talks about the thoughts of God. What he thought is revealed. I mean, the law revealed what's right what's fair. I mean, down to the details. The Old Testament t- tells you how God thinks. tells you about how God thinks you borrow somebody's car. doesn't say car. It says ox. Tells you tells you how to think about that. If you tear it up, what you ought to be doing about it. tells you how God thinks. Our approach to God has changed. They came by the blood of animals. We, came, we come by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but that's how he thinks. That's still how he thinks. I mean, we don't have to go through all that, all that religious stuff but we have this relationship with God, but he still thinks that we need to be right. We still need to be just and fair, have character. The New Testament, in this New Testament time, we have the author of the Old Testament living on the inside of us. We ought to be listening to what he has to say. Man, if we don't think like him and not trying to think like him, we need to change the way we think. Well, I think I'm doing pretty good. Well, if you haven't arrived at Christ-like perfection, you still need to change. 
there's still room for improvement. I mean, we know that. I realize that the problem is that a lot of church people think a lot of things that are wrong, but they don't think it's wrong because they're not in the Word. They don't know what the Word says. I mean, we need to think the thoughts of God. Remember we said last time, or not last time, a couple times, but Psalm 139, 17 says, His thoughts are precious. We need to begin to think His thoughts because they're precious. I heard someone say one time, they said, you know, I just would like to be able to talk to Ronald Reagan and pick his brain. Why would you want to do that? He can speak to the, to the Almighty. We can see his words. He'll talk to us by his word, by his spirit. We have access to him. We, mu we, we must come to him. We need to know him. We have the opportunity to know him. Now, here's the thing. What time is it? Hey, honey. Let me just go to this. Good people can sometimes have a wrong mind. You can be in your right mind, or you can be in your wrong mind. Good people can get in the wrong mind. And I, I think of the story of Jonah sometimes. Jonah was a good man. He realized that he was a prophet of God. God called him. He was a prophet of God. And so the Lord told Jonah, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to the people. And so Jonah promptly got up and booked a cruise to Tarshish. Just, I mean, man, he just went straight to Tarshish. And so on the way to Tarshish, as you know the story, he, had this, he, got, he, he got involved in this workshop in the belly of a fish. And he decided that he would redirect his priorities and his goals in life. And so the fish threw him up on the shore near Nineveh. Jonah chapter 3, verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Where else would you go, right? <laughs> it's interesting. It says that he fled from the presence of the Lord. I always say that's what kind of a statement is that? Where can you go to hide from God? Where, where do you hide from the presence of the Lord? I mean, the scripture says you go to the deepest hell and you can't hide from him. You go to the highest heights and you can't hide from him. You can't hide from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah thought he could hide from the presence of the Lord on a cruise ship to Tarshish. Like God would never know he's on the way. <laughs> it's interesting that God found him and the fish found him. So it's, it's spit up on the shore and it says, He arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days. Three days journey. He had, took three days to walk across it. And Jonah began to enter into the city's a day's journey and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his prophecy. Forty days. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. And you know the story. He went through there and he's preaching. And all of a sudden, the people of Nineveh said, who can tell? I mean, they believe what he said. Who can tell if, if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? They thought, man, we got to repent. So they fasted. You know that part. It says, and God saw the works that they turned from the evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them. And he did it not. So all of a sudden, this preacher who didn't want to go in the first place, he's already thinking wrong. He doesn't want to go in the first place. He gets swallowed by the fish, gets thrown up on the shore, decides that he better do this because it's better to do this and die in the fish's belly. So he, he, he goes, he does it, and then when God changed his mind about it, about killing all these people, Jonah got furious. He was mad. It says, but it, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry, and he prayed to the Lord. This is a great prayer. Don't copy this. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> I pray thee, O Lord, 
Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Now therefore, Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better to die than to live. He said, I prophesied they were going to die. I prophesied judgment was going to come. Now, what does that look like? It looks like I'm a false prophet. Looks like I am an idiot because you're so kind. And you're so just kill me, just kill me, and take me home. I love what God says. He says, "Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? Are you are you right to be so mad?" So it says. So he goes out of the city. Okay, he goes up on the. He 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 made a booth and he sits under it in the shadow to see what would happen. He's still hoping it'll get destroyed. This is great. God prepares this gourd, and it comes up over Jonah, and then it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from, from the heat of the day. And so Jonah was all right with the gourd. Well, then God made a worm. <laughs> and the worm came and ate the gourd. And it says it smote it. The, the worm smoked the gourd, and it, and it withered. Okay, so when, it, when, it, when, the, when the sun came, there was no shade for Jonah and all that stuff, and, 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 and Jonah got mad again. I mean, you know, he, he wished, it says he, in verse 8 of that chapter, he says he wished in himself to die and said it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> My prophecy didn't come to pass. And now it's hot because the Lord died and he is mad. He's furious. And God said to Jonah, dost thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I do well. Jonah's like, I, I do have a right to be mad, even to death. He is not thinking right. He's not thinking right. He's a good man. Now, does that ever happen to you? Yeah, more often than we care to talk about, he wasn't thinking right. He's angry because the people didn't die. Well, not because they didn't die, but he's, because his prophecy didn't come to pass. He's mad because the gourd died. He doesn't have the shade. And verse 10 says, And then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city? Now look, this next statement is pretty important. Wherein are more than six score thousand persons, 120,000 people, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left. Seems to me like it's talking about kids. And God's like, you would rather me kill those kids than have your prophecy come to pass. I mean, then you miss prophecy. I mean, he said, and they also have a lot of cattle. Jonah didn't care about anybody but himself right now. He's not thinking right. He thought he had the right to be mad. Thought he had the right to be angry. If he just thought the way God thinks, he wouldn't have worried about his reputation. He would know that God was going to take care of it. He wouldn't have had to go up on the hillside and sit in the sun. He could have probably been down in the town having fresh water with the people who had repented and now are the people of God. I mean, we have to think right. It's possible for right people to think wrong, to have a mind that's not their right mind. Now let me read you another passage. Now I'll try to get through as quickly as I can. Talk about Jesus. And he went forth to land, got off a boat. 
And there met him out of the city. This is in Luke chapter 8, beginning verse 27. There met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in tombs. Now think about that. When you read the Bible, sometimes you have to think about some things. This guy had had devils a long time. He was naked. He had been naked a long time. Now, why would a man, a grown man, be naked in a cemetery running around? Did God give him that thought? Absolutely not. God's not going to give somebody a thought to run around naked in a cemetery. Do you think the first time the thought came to him, hey, take up your clothes and run around naked in the cemetery, do you think he did it? <laughs> Probably not. But he entertained it and continued to entertain it. So he ran around the tombs. It says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oft times it caught him. He was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus looked at him and said, What's your name? He wasn't asking the devil his name. He was asking the man his name. And he said, The devil was too stupid to know the difference. He said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. Now, this guy, in, in, in Luke's gospel, in Matthew, Mark's gospel, it says he cut himself. That's not a thought. He's not thinking right. Why would you cut yourself? Would God ever give you that thought? No, God's not give you a thought to live in a cemetery, to live in a tomb, to be naked. That's not the thought of God. But the first time he thought it, he didn't do any of those things. But he continued to think it. He continued to think it. He continued to think it. I tell you, sometimes we don't understand what these thoughts are doing to us. As a teenager, I remember listening to music that was so terrible. But it was cool. The music was cool. But we thought it, and we thought it, and we thought it. And many people did those very things. If you think that a video game where you kill people all the time it doesn't affect you, it does affect you. The first time you think it. I mean, not everybody who plays video games commits a murder, but I'll tell you, the people who commit murder have thought about it before. They thought about it. So this man, I mean, he's... But, they probably, but people probably think he's free. I mean, they bound him with chains, and he'd break the chains. He's like Superman. He'd break the chains. He could do whatever he wants to. But his thought life has brought him to a place where he's absolutely in bondage to Satan. It says, the demons, it says, they besought him, Jesus, that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter in them, and he suffered them. And they went, and then went the devils of the man entering in the swine. The herd of swine ran violently down a, a, a steep place into the lake where they choked. Now that's interesting. The pigs would rather die than have demons. And when they that fed saw what was done, they fled and went and told it to the city and the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. That's interesting. They were afraid. They should have been happy. They should have been thrilled that this guy was not up there running naked and screaming and all those things. The devil ever comes to you and says to you, take up your clothes and run through the cemetery? <laughs> Understand, it's the devil talking. I don't think so, I agree with you. But 
When that happens, people they even say, no, you take off your clothes and run to the cemetery. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I belong to God. We need to recognize the source of thoughts that come. Recognize where they came from. If he's in his right mind now, that meant he was in the wrong mind, his wrong mind early in the day. We understand there are degrees of being in a right mind or in the wrong mind. That guy had totally lost his mind. Totally. I mean, we need to say this about him, though. He still had his mind, and when he saw Jesus, he did come and bow before him. He knew enough to know that freedom was through Jesus. He understood that. But before that, I mean, he, he was running naked. Before he became this madman, listen, he was somebody's son. He had been somebody's baby. He is, he, he, you know, but thoughts came, and eventually he became obsessed by the thoughts to the degree that he conformed to the thoughts and gave the demonic spirits the ability to enter into them. We fail to understand how closely connected our thought life is to a spirit world and what we can enter, what we can allow or disallow, but based on what we think. The devil can't force you to do anything, but he can bring thoughts. And if you receive them and continue to think in them, you'll be conformed to those thoughts. We've got to choose the thoughts we take. How do we know that guy's in his right mind? Number one, he's got clothes on. That's mm -hmm. the first indication he's got. Yeah, he's, doing. he's not screaming in the cemetery. But here's the deal. He's sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus. When you're in your right mind, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be as close to Jesus as you can possibly get. That's where you want to be. That's what you want to do. Be right there. And then and then he wanted to go with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, no, I want you to tell your friends and your family all the great things that the Lord has done for you. But this guy, all he wanted to do was be with Jesus. Because when you're in your right mind, that's what you do. But because he's in his right mind, you did what Jesus told you to do. If we're not in a right mind, we need to change. It's possible for good. I'm saying you're not going to happen to you, but it's possible. You get in the wrong mind and begin to think and think and think and think and think like that. You'll be angry. You'll be frustrated. You'll be afraid because you've allowed those thoughts to come and come and come and you've accepted them. And, and all of a sudden, they, they conform you. And this guy was way off in his thinking, not just a little bit. And here's the cool thing. If the Lord could take this guy within minutes and get him in his right mind, he can help us. We can get in our right minds. We don't have to go off the edge like Jonah did and gripe at God. Have you ever gripped at God? I have. It was not a smart move on my part. I quickly repented, by the way. But he can help us. Here's what I know. Things may not change. But I can change. I can change by based on what I think. People think about suicide. They think maybe their spouse had an affair and they just can't go on anymore. Yes, they can. They've got to think differently, though. They've got to think. I mean, it's a lie to think we can't go on. The thought of killing myself is not from God. It's never from God. He's for life. He took that guy in a few minutes, healed him. He has the ability to heal the brokenness, to fill the brokenness, to make us more than conquerors. But we must begin to think with him. 
the thoughts of God. I heard this saying this week. I thought it really was good. Somebody said, I was talking about, about filling up their windshield. I can't remember. They are talking about driving somewhere and in nature. And they, they, they just filled up my windshield. That means all you can see is that through your windshield. Fill it up. You know what we need to do? We need to fill up our windshield with God. Make Him all that we can see. Fill it up with Him. I mean, think about it. What being could create the universe? What being could just create our solar system? Perfect order. I mean, it's always on time. I mean, <laughs> you have to do this. You can set your clock by it, because you do. You set your clock by it. <laughs> it's always, it's always, I mean, he created the solar system. That same God created bunnies. And puppies. I mean, who can do that? Nobody but God. I mean, it was all in him before he called it into being. Think about that. All in God, curly hair and strawberries. A universe and chocolate <laughs> and alligators. We need to fill up our windshield with him. He is so vast. And we don't even have to wait for heaven to begin to think his thoughts. We have his word. If he fills up our windshield, our soul can be anchored. We can face whatever's in front of us or behind us and look forward to life, to whatever he's called for us. But we've got to discipline our minds and not allow ourselves to think those thoughts that contradict his word. And we'll become different people. I mean, the world be amazed that we're not destroyed by the things they're devastated by. We'll still be praising our God. We'll still be walking in our victory. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you that you are so vast. God, that you have seen it all. You've seen all that we've not seen. You know what's ahead. You love us. You care for us. We cast our care on you. And Lord, we thank you that we can be in our right mind. Not confused, not dazed. Your word promises we have the mind of Christ. That you've not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. We declare it for ourselves, and we declare our mind is our mind. And we submit it to you to think your thoughts. In Jesus' name.